for, for those of you who are just now joining us online, we appreciate that, and we welcome you to service already in, in progress this morning, and again, thank you for uh, tuning in and being a part with us, and we trust that uh, your time together will be uh, useful for the kingdom's purposes in your lives and ours as we, uh, as we look into the Word this morning. It's hard to look for background really specifically other than the life of the Lord Jesus Christ for an example of the love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. But I like the story of the prodigal son that shows us the love of the father. And I think it's a good background story for this as well. As you see a father who's very distressed, waiting patiently, quick to restore the reputation again and the relationship with the son who finally repents and comes home. And so I kind of keep that in mind as I look at this passage of Scripture, and I also try to keep in, in mind just the life of our Lord Jesus. And I'm going to highlight that today, because if you really want to see what love looks like in perfection as it walked among mankind, you're going to have to look at Jesus. And so we'll look at him. 1 Corinthians 7, 13, 7 says, in the Amplified Version, love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe in the best of every person it hopes it uh, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening in the american standard in the uh, king james version which is kind of always my go-to i think for the most clarity at least in i'd say accuracy maybe not so clear sometimes in the way we use english now but when he, anytime these two agree, I just feel like I've got a rock-solid translation. And they do completely. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. The ISV says, she bears up under everything, believes the best in all. There is no limit to her hope, and never will she fall. The NIV, which is the one we read most often here, for just ease of reading. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. Beareth all things. In 1 Corinthians 9, 12, this same, um, this same word is used, and there, what's happening is Paul is making a case with the Corinthian church and saying, I had a right while I was here to expect you to take care of me physically, monetarily. He said, but I gave that right up. And he said, I bore the weight of my own. He bared up the weight of my own provision so that I could preach the gospel to you without charge so that I wouldn't be any kind of a hindrance to you. Uh, and as they grew into the faith, they should have matured enough that that was not the case. But I look at this and say, well, because of their immaturity, Paul was putting up with them and it caused an overload in his life at some points. Or it certainly took away from, he would say at some point, or folks would say from what he could have been doing full time in terms of ministry. So beareth all things, certainly in that particular uh, instant, as you look at that, would have this idea, again, of it being a kind of endurance that you were, you were doing. And so, if you look at Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, and I always like to do a little commentary work. I know some of you sleep through this, and I have to wake you up in a minute. 
My wife is home already sleeping this morning, so I won't have to wake her up. It endures without divulging it to the world. It's a distress. Think about that for a minute. It endures without divulging to the world. It's, it's a distress. Literally holding fast like a watertight vessel. The charitable man contains himself from giving vent to what selfishness would prompt under personal hardship. Is that not good? Enduring. Not practicing selfishness or what selfishness would demand in any situation. Much of life's personal hardships come from relationships, don't they? Uh, relationships with other people a lot of times affect us in ways that cause us, if we're going to love, to have to have a little bit of endurance. Would you not agree? Now, you don't agree with that? Well, then, in a philosophical general sense, what are you going to do with Adam and Eve? I mean, this is a fallen world, and you're in a fallen state, and you got that from Adam and Eve. Look at Romans, the fifth chapter, the twelfth verse. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that would have been Adam and Eve, and then death through sin... In this way, death came to all men because all sinned. <clears throat> For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin was not taken into account when there was no law. This is talking about the law of Moses. God laid it out. Now we know exactly what we're doing, right? Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a commandment as Adam did... Adam told not to take, he did take, you know the story, who was a pattern of the one to come. There was a man that excelled in the kind of love that's being talked about here in 1 Corinthians 13. And just as Adam's actions had consequences for all of us in his failure at love, this guy, Jesus Christ, has consequences that affect all of us in his being able to love and really love the way God loves. If you look at, it brings us to a place of everlasting hope and of everlasting life. Um, look at 515 of Romans to continue on. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin, and it brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses, and it brought justification. For if the trespasses of the one man, through that death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign then in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's the gospel, folks. 
Sin entered the world, the world fell, we fell. Jesus entered the world, transformed everything. Following all of these transgressions, he brought forgiveness and hope and healing as he loved the Father and executed that love for the Heavenly Father on behalf of us, loving us as well. Consequently, just as a result of that one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of this one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. One brought death, one brings life to all. For just as through the disobedience of the one, many, the many were made sinners. Thank you, Adam. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Thank you, Jesus. The law was added so that the trespass might, so that trespasses might increase. People would know that they're doing something wrong. That's a good thing to know. But where the sin increased, grace increased also the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also now grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is, is this. It's love, isn't it? And the love of Jesus, as portrayed here, did it beareth all things. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Laying down his life for his friends. This is Jesus bearing all things, isn't it? This is Jesus bearing our sin and weight upon Mount Calvary. Beareth all things. That's what love does. You want a picture of that? You want an image of that? Jesus is it. The pulpit commentary says this, beareth all things, that is, endures wrongs and evils and covers them with a beautiful reticence, a restraint, keeping things to oneself. It covers all sins. Is that not what Jesus did on Mount Calvary? He covered all our sins as he bore our sins on Mount Calvary. And he bore that in a very in a way that was love, not with vengeance, not with anger. I mean, he is the perfect example of what love is. Matthew 26, 50. Then the men stepped forward and they seized Jesus and they arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. He drew it and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting it off his ear. Put your sword back into its place, Jesus said. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do not think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. And I'm understanding that a legion is like four to 6,000. So if you want to do the numbers, that's a lot. But if you want to take it for what it is, the number 12, it's a lot more. From the picture of what I see in scripture. But now, but how then would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? 
Is this not amazing restraint as the Lord Jesus bears the weight of our sins on Mount Calvary? Listen, nobody took his life from him. He laid it down. All he had to say was, come on. And we would have remembered that event that's totally different. Love beareth all things. He stepped into what was the will of God for his life. And whatever it brought him, he bore that in love. This is amazing. Completely amazing restraint. And it even goes farther. Look at this in Luke twenty-two forty-nine, When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? This is Luke's account. And then one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. <coughs> and Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed it. Are you not seeing love taking place here? Bears all things. The pulpit Bible commentary says this way, keeping things to oneself. John Wesley said this, love covereth over all things. Whatever evil the lover of mankind sees, he hears or knows of anyone, he mentions it to none. It would never, it never goes out from his lips unless absolutely Unless where absolute duty constrains him to speak. So why do I bring that one up? In James 3, 7, it says this. Restraining, holding, I think, our tongue and our typing in today's world is one of the ways that we bear others' burdens. It's one of the ways that we Bear all things in love. Let's follow it through. In James 3, 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, the creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. The honeybee hasn't. The honeybee has tamed man, okay? We just figured out who he is and we work with him. Just a side note there. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse man. Who were made. Who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brother this should not be. Can both fresh and water. Uh, fresh water and salt water come from the same spring. My brothers can a fig tree bear olives. And a grapevine bear figs. Neither can salt spring forth or a salt spring produce fresh water. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up dissension. Love doesn't. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Covers, beareth. That's that other definition. Covers over all wrongs. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Again, if you're going to look at the perfect example of love, you got to go to Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53 and 7. This prophecy about our Lord Jesus and what was going to take place in his life. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He did what? Beareth all things well. When you're bearing things, how do you, how do, you do? Very well or very whiny? By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That's bearing all things. That's love. Love knows how to be silent. And how to speak the truth in love without deceit. Jesus did that. When you think of this, you think of offenses and how you would bear those offenses. And you think of immediately, if you've been in the word of God any time at all, the 70 times 7 that Jesus talked about, right? Forgiving a person. That forgiveness that puts things as far as the east is from the west. Can you do that without conquering the tongue? Can you do that without conquering tone? Can you do that without conquering the type in today's world? The idea of covering over an offense seems to be what this whole verse section really is talking about. This is what love is doing. It's a sort of how to on this, I think. <clears throat> Let's finish that quote that I started with John Wesley a minute ago that talks about really the other elements in this verse. It says, again, where whatever evil the lover of mankind sees or hears or knows of anyone, he mentions it to none. He never, it never goes out of his lips unless where absolute duty constrains him to speak. It believes all things as well. Puts the most favorable construction on everything. And is ever ready to believe whatever may tend to be, tend to the advantage of any one character. And when it can no longer believe well, it hopes. It hopes whatever may excuse or extenuate the fault which cannot be denied, where it cannot even excuse, it hopes God will at length give repentance. Meantime, it endures all things, whatever the injustice, whatever the malice, whatever the cruelty of man that they can inflict. I hate that part of the verse, don't you? We like it to say it endures some things. We like it to say it endures particular things. Nobody can cover over sin like God. In Romans 3.22 says there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the boat we're in. And we need a God who has a love that can cover over all sin. Would you not agree? 
And that is the God that we have. And that is the kind of love that He has executed on our behalf. And He calls us to execute that kind of love toward our fellow man. Wow. I'm not even sure I can grab the depth of it when God pours that love out on me. How then can we begin to do it to the rest of the world? And maybe as we see how we bear all things in the world, specifically and particularly the sins that come against us in relationships, if we're being God-like at all. We're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him then as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God's justice was preserved in the covering of our sins. And folks, there's no way that a just God could have done that. It would not have been fair, right, or anything else if it had not been for Jesus. But because of Jesus, it became judicially correct for God to forgive our sins because He paid the price for our sins and to pay the debt twice would have been judicially wrong. And for us not to give the same love and mercy that we have been given would be equally as wrong. It beareth all things. There are passages in Thessalonians that translate this same word covers, protects, not just for theirs. It's like love covers a multitude of sin. It throws a veil over those. And in our case, the veil is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. We no longer stand in our filthy robes of sin, but we stand in the righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ that He has given us. It's His gift to us in, in our salvation when we come to Him and we repent, repent and put our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Folks, this is the answer for America. This is the answer for this world. They have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. You have a sin problem. You don't have to follow me around very long to figure that out. But God has an answer to our sin problem. And the answer is Jesus. Not more in legislation, not a different political party, not on and on and on it goes. Whatever you think your answer might be, the answer, if it's not Jesus, is the wrong answer. I want to get technical one last time here. And I want to bring it down to a point here on all things. But I want to do that by reading to you a little lengthy bit here again out of another commentary that I think is exceptional here. This idea of covering or hiding or concealing, Barnes in his commentary says this. If this is to be the sense, the way we interpret this here, then it means that love is disposed to hide or conceal the faults and the imperfections of others. Not to promulgate or 
blazon them abroad or to give any undue publicity to them. Benevolence to the individual or to the public would require that these faults and errors should just be concealed. If this is the sense, then it accords nearly with what is said in the previous verses. You remember that where he says um, back in verse six, I will read it to you. It always uh, it says love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The word may also mean here to forbear, to forbear with, to endure. Thus it is used, he gives you several illustrations in 1 Thessalonians 3.1 and, and uh, 3.5. And so our translators understand it here as meaning that love is patient, love is long-suffering, not soon angered, not disposed to revenge. That's all right. And if this is the sense, it accords with the expression in 1 Corinthians 13.4, love suffers long. And in the end of this verse where it says love endures, I might add. The more unusual classic meaning is the former, the first one to cover over. The usage in the New Testament, he thinks, demands the latter. And then he says this, the real sense of this passage is not materially varied, either one. Whichever interpretation is adopted, it means that in regard to the errors and faults of others, there is a disposition not to notice or to revenge them. There's a willingness to conceal or to bear with them patiently. Now, why did I read that to you? Because of what he says next. Because are there limitations to this? I think in the day and age that we're living in, this all things needs to be thought about a little more intensely. All things. He says, all universal expressions of this kind demand to be thus limited. In other words, all things has some limitations. The meaning must be as far as it can consistently or lawfully be done. There are offenses which it is not proper or right for a man to conceal or to suffer to pass unnoticed. Such are those where the laws of the land are violated and a man is called on to testify. But the phrase here refers to private matters and indicates a disposition not to make public or to avenge the faults committed by others. In a very real sense, all sin is criminal in terms of eternity, is it not? All sin will send you to hell. All sin, as in terms of of what we inherited from Adam in a sin nature sets us up for the sin that we will commit and has put us in a position of sinfulness that has separated us from God. And it's Jesus Christ who restores that. And so in a, another real theological way, the only sin that will send you to hell is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
And you'll have to ponder that a minute. But if you reject Him, then you stand before the judgment in light of all your other sins without an advocate and without a Redeemer who can make things pass as far as the east is from the west, who can cover over, who can bear all your sins. So what about this limitation? It was in a pastor's meeting this week and uh, associational uh, pastors meet here on Thursdays, first Thursday of the month, and I was in that meeting. And the, the discussion on the table had to do with the latest study that our convention has done about some of the misconduct that has taken place at higher levels in our convention, or uh, at least that's the, the accusation of 700 or so cases. They said that um, they really had not been adjudicated cases, but at any rate, it just talks about what's going on there. And how this then impacts us as Southern Baptist congregations, how this impacts us as a denomination, what we're doing about that, what we do about this on a, on a local level and so forth. And it was an inter interesting discussion. It filled an hour and a half of our time. And uh, one of the pastors made this, this statement, and I really liked it, and I think it sums this up. He said, the church is in the sin business, not the criminal business. I like that. Uh, it's not our job as a church to do investigative research and to bring charges against people and to provide the prosecution and to provide the uh, the judges and so forth or the criminal system to send people to jail. I mean, if we want to do that, I'm fine with that, but it's going to take a little more money than what we have, right? That's not what we're about. The church definitely is in the business of dealing with sin, of showing people where that sin puts them in relationship with God, of constantly calling them to repentance. And when repentance is found, the church is to be there with grace and hope and life. And that's what we're to be about, is it not? And so, what is criminal is criminal. And we need to do as Barnes says. And those are the things that we need to step into. Not conceal, not let these things go unnoticed or past. And we need to encourage people in the process to do that. And I think that that is what our convention is doing now. That's what we've done here in the past. That's what I've done in my own personal life when, on more than one occasion when I've had to, on a personal level, step into the court system to do that. But as we talked about last week and as I gave you illustration last week, that doesn't mean that we don't step into those situations with love and mercy and grace I don't know how to say it any clearer than this. I'll visit you in prison. If you do the crime, there's a system that that needs to come before. 
if you're adjudicated or not, whatever happens, if the heart is repentance, the church is to beareth and cover all things. And I can visit you in prison. This is a tough passage. Because it pushes out all selfishness. It pushes out all vengeance. It screams forgiveness. While holding up. The love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a world that needs law and order. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Endureth all things. Our love does not want to endure, Lord. Seven times seventy. As long as they're little things. We're living in a world that's full of big things. And it can't get bigger than Mount Calvary. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus and love as he has loved. It requires, Lord, that we step into your perfect will for our lives. So help us to have a confidence that we are there. And let us speak the truth in love. In love when we must speak it. When it is demanded from us. And let us be the encouragers that you want us to be. In Christ Jesus. Amen.